Blog Talk Radio. General Quarters, Security Condition 3. GQ, Security 3, sir. General Quarters 3, Intruder Alert. GQ 3, Intruder Alert. Where would I be without that doorman? He really keeps things running tight around here. Um, But you know that already if you're a regular listener. But if you're not, welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. I am your host and cruise director, Madam Perry. And we are here for another fun night right here in the Genie's Bottle. You know, um, we have had, uh, thanks to you, first of all, I I do this every week and I have to keep on because I want to thank you all for listening, everyone who subscribed. You know, some people subscribe on Blog Talk Radio. If you're listening live tonight or you listen on Blog Talk Radio but you haven't subscribed, think about pushing that hot pink rectangular button that says follow and being a subscriber, and that way you know you can find out ahead of time who's coming on, or you can do that by following the Facebook page for Madam Perry Salon. But if you listen to your podcast on the Apple iTunes or Stitcher, you can also subscribe there. I listen to my podcasts or different podcasts on the weekend that I subscribe to, and um, that's what I kind of keep them all on so I can just um, just enjoy but uh, thank you because of the fact that you follow, you've downloaded so many shows, and you shared these with friends because of that. You helped me grow the audience and helped me keep getting great guests like we've had recently or we have coming up like we have tonight. Um, you know, last week we had Jay Blake Perkins, a historian and teacher and author from Arkansas, and his book was Hillbilly Hellraisers. It was very interesting. It was more of a sociological study, and it um, really dispelled a lot of the myths of, uh, that we all have of the hillbillies and where they came from. Actually, back um, 100 years ago or so, most of the people considered hillbillies, the uh, small holders in the Ozarks, were actually leaned more toward pacifism and, or socialist and very different from how, and very hard work and very different from the uh, stereotypes and cartoon characters we often see. So check back to that show if you if you missed it and check out that book. Also, Linda Civitello was here with uh, Baking Powder Wars about the, she's a food historian about the history of baking powder and how it came to be created. And good Lord, the massive fights, the corporate sneakiness and dealing and underhandedness, and even the Klan was involved in um, some of it. There was a lot of underhanded stuff going on and uh, bad, just bad advertising, just flat out lies and stuff, going to prove that there's really nothing new under the sun. And also we had Chris Difford from Squeeze. You might remember him. He was a co-founder and front man of Squeeze, Uh, you know, with the songs like, uh, tempted by the fruit of another, black coffee in bed, Annie, get your gun. Um, just all those. Chris was on here talking about his book, Some Fantastic Place, My Life In and Out of Squeeze. Very interesting guy. It's a very good book, so I recommend getting that. Coming up in a few weeks, we have Bootsy Collins. Yeah, that's the one. The, uh, Make My Funk, the P-Funk. Bootsy Collins is coming. And uh, we're going to have more musicians, more comedians. But tonight, this is um, this is an extra special night. Now, many of you who are regular listeners uh, know there are. So I do have some um, what we call the unusual suspects and regulars, and and I am thrilled and delighted to have so many different types of folks on, and so many talents. But tonight's guest is going to be a first for me, and for uh, right here in the genie bottle for you. So. How do I going to describe this fellow? If you haven't already checked out the information, and you probably have, 
we all know that the, just in the last maybe 30 years, um, something that was once considered almost taboo or trashy or that's not for nice people, tattoos just really came into its own in a preponderance of uh, popularity. But that's not all. Body piercing. Now, Tonight's guest is the person who, let me say an MTV documentary referred to him as the granddaddy of body piercing, the modern body piercing industry. Um, he's the man who really brought it into the public as something that was very done very professional, uh, much more artistic, uh, while still staying true to the origins of the art of body piercing. And I started just as a, as a jewelry maker. And out of a back, uh, out of the back of a retail space, um, he became a significant industry wholesaler, and people in the business revere this man. So before I keep on trying to explain something that's brand new to me, I want to learn just like you, if you don't already know, and if you do know, like people that are telling me on Instagram today that are very excited about this show, you want to get in here and talk more. My guest tonight is, of course. Uh, the granddaddy, the godfather of modern body piercing, Mr. Jim Ward. Jim, welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Come on in and sit down. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. I am delighted to have you here. And, you know, the more I I have researched you and read about you, people are in such awe of you people that follow you. And I think one of the reasons that I keep getting from everything and that I read and interviews and, and um, videos that I've watched is that people feel like you lent or you brought sophistication and respectability to body piercing, mostly because you were concerned about safety, health, and responsible uh, responsible practicing of the art of body piercing, because it is an art. It is indeed. Um it sort of started with a personal fetish that developed back in the uh, late 60s. I was living in New York and uh, got involved with the gay leather scene there. And that was kind of the beginning. Um, when I eventually landed in uh, West Hollywood in California, uh, things kind of just happened by fate. I met a man named Doug Malloy, who became my friend and mentor, and uh, kind of got me started down this road. So it just, uh, when I started, I had no idea where it would go. Uh, but it was such an underground phenomenon, and people were just, who were into it, kind of had to rely on, you know, whatever they could lay their hands on. Uh, when I pierced my own nipples in 1969, I used a push pin and a cork from a wine bottle, uh, which is kind of the hard way to go about it. Uh, and I realized that there were, first of all, Doug made it clear that there was there were other people who were interested, who wanted to, who were really into this. And I realized that uh, there had to be a better way. And with Doug's encouragement, I started uh, my business, which was called uh, Gauntlet Enterprises originally, later became Gauntlet Incorporated. And most people just called it the Gauntlet. Now, when you say you did your own nipple piercing, now here's what I'm here's what this brings to mind for me. I'm a licensed esthetician. You know, one of the things that we do is, you know, body waxing. And I've done my own waxing. <laughs> That's hard. And when I say that, what I mean, I know it's hard enough to when you do it, you're putting the wax on, you put the cloth down, and then you know what comes next? You got to yank it up. Oh, and you yes, got to yank I've, it up I've, and look, I've, huh? And pretend like you're not. I've, so, 
So tell me how you did your own like that without. Well, uh, waxing covers a, a much wider, broader area. Uh, a piercing is concentrated in a very small spot. And if it's done by somebody who actually kind of knows what they're doing, it can be over in just a, a fraction of a second. And invariably, over the years, I've done thousands of piercings, people invariably say, oh, well, that didn't hurt nearly as bad as I thought it would. Um, so I think I'd rather have a piercing than get waxed, quite frankly. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, because see, I'm thinking, you know, the nipples are such a sensitive area that, what do you do? Did you ice them down first or what? No, I just put the cork on one side and the the point of the pin on the other and pushed. Um, It was really actually quite simple. The hard part was getting the ring in afterwards. <laughs> okay. Well, we, can we uh, stop just a minute and let people know, first of all, before we go any further, if you're listening live tonight, where my guest is Jim Ward, who is um, known as the, the granddaddy of body piercing or modern body piercing, uh, former owner of The Gauntlet, the famous Gauntlet, um, and author of the book, Running the Gauntlet, which we'll talk about. Uh, and you want to talk to him, if you have a question, the number is 646. 646- Seven one six nine nine two two. That's six four six seven one six nine nine two two. If you want to call in and talk to Jim Ward here, in Madam Perry Salon. So um, go ahead, Jim. Okay. Um, what else would you like to know? <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, let's, let's go back a little bit on the history. Now, body piercing is nothing. It, it's not that new. You know, as I say, anybody that I've had on that's written a book that has to do with people and cultures, there's not much new under the sun. This is something that, that's been around for, what, a thousand years or more? Oh, who knows? It goes back, you know, many thousands of years, most likely. Um, the ancient Egyptians had uh, ear piercings. Um, the, there are references uh, in the Kama Sutra, which is quite ancient, uh, the Romans and the Greeks, uh, it's it's a it's a universal part of the human psyche, I think, to do things to your body. For, uh, there are many reasons why. Part of them is uh, the aesthetic part, kind of like the same reason you wax, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Waxing is kind of temporary, whereas we're talking about permanent changes to your body. So there are things like tattooing and piercing in particular that uh, are are permanent. You do those things. Uh, of course, some people do them just because they like the way they look. But I came to this, honestly, from a fetish point of view. I discovered that that little piece of metal inserted into strategic points in your body can greatly enhance erotic sensations. And that was my uh, reason really for trying to share that message with the public at large. This could greatly enhance your sex life. Of course, as time went by, uh, that that, uh, shifted now mostly people get pierced because they like the way it looks. Uh, but I think they're missing something. And then there is, of course, uh, uh, historically speaking, there is a uh, kind of a rite of passage aspect to it. Uh, people do these things to mark important transitions in their life. You know, like from when you become a, a when you change from being a child to an adult. Uh, when you uh, go from being single to being married. When I had uh, my store, my stores, some people, I remember a a guy who came in to get a piercing because he had finally gotten a divorce from a a wife 
who did not support his interest in, in body piercing. So there are many reasons why. Yeah. <laughs> like a yeah, you're right. Right of celebration or passage or something. But but yeah, see, I would think that too. That the fetish, anything that adds to you know your sensuality, your sexual pleasure, is if it's not harmful, that that's good reason enough. Actually, would be. So what do you think? Well, let me see. I'm trying to go. Where 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 do I want to go here? It's been around a while, but then, and we know how you got involved. But what do you think has made body piercing more popular in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years? I think that the big thing that, uh, well, it was like the, the big explosion came in 1989. There was a book that came out called Modern Primitives. It was put out by uh, a publisher called Research. And it just, uh, people just discovered it and went crazy. And suddenly everybody wanted to get, particularly for whatever reason, navel piercings. Um, our business in navel piercings just exploded. And it was a time when all of a sudden everybody wanted to open a, a piercing salon. Uh, and they just started springing up like mushrooms. And then uh, there was a music video that came out called Crying with, um, oh, my brain uh, shorted out, uh, the Crying video. And uh, Alicia Silverstone was in it uh, getting her navel pierced, although she was it was faked. Uh, somebody else was <laughs> her stand in, but it looked like she was getting her navel pierced. And uh, it just struck a nerve, and uh, the whole thing just exploded. <laughs> so, yeah, now I remember that that's coming back to me. Yeah, the navel piercings when they got popular first. Why? Um, it was Aerosmith, by the way. <laughs> Aerosmith did the. It, the uh, it was an Aerosmith music video. Okay. Aerosmith. All right. Hmm. I'm trying to think. I can't really remember that, but I do remember when, when, when now that you mentioned when navel piercing became popular in jewelry and um, for that, and then I think it's. But to me, that kind of thing usually comes because somebody wants to be. They see a celebrity do it, and they want to do it to be like the celebrity. Yes. Well, also, uh, well, I mean, as I said, Alicia Silverstone was in the video, but also around that same time, Jean-Paul Gaultier uh, had some fashion shows with pierced models, and that also added to, uh, fueled the enthusiasm. Oh, yeah, yeah. With, um, yeah, Gaultier likes to... To really bring things, have things very, very fresh and like beyond the edge on his show, uh, and his and when it's Fashion Week on the runway, magnificent. When uh, what kind of people? But that's not all. It's not all just being like like fashion, like the people that want to watch a celebrity. There are other people. So what kind of other people get the body piercing? I'm talking about not just somebody who want, wants like a um, something just for sensual because or or for fashion. But what other people get body piercings, and and why? Well, the uh, when I started, of course, uh, it was largely gay men who got pierced. Uh, that was the the uh, the the demographic I was familiar with, and that was the direction that I uh, kind of um, advertised to encourage to come get pierced by me. And then the word gradually spread. It was spread from the, the gay SM side to the heterosexual SM side. And then the, the, the rockers and the punkers got wind of it. And, it, <laughs> and the bikers, it just, uh, it just continued to spread over the years. And eventually, of course, it 
by come ni- uh, 1989, it hit the mainstream in a really big way. Now, were you, how, how were you taught? Were you self-taught or who? Well, to go back kind of to the beginning, I moved to Los Angeles, uh, to specifically to West Hollywood, in 1973. And there were these weird series of fateful incidents, there's no other way to describe it, uh, that I met Doug Malloy. And Doug was a, a wealthy, he was a millionaire. Uh, that was his uh, assumed name that he did kinky things under. His real name was Richard Simonton. And he was one of the four founders of the Muzak Corporation. So he ah. was very well um, But over the years, he, he had this great fetish for body piercing. And over the years, he had traveled around the world. He had met other people who were into it. And then he had also started advertising in the the gay press in Los Angeles to locate people who were interested. And he had put together a mailing list of about 100 people uh, worldwide who who were interested. About uh, when I met him... uh, it was it was kind of casual at first, but about that time I was also dating a guy who wanted me to pierce his nipples. And I knew that there had to be a better way than the push pin and, and wine bottle cork. So I called up Doug and I said, you know, would you give me some pointers on how to do this? And I said, also, can you tell me where I can get some jewelry for it? And he said, well, sure, I'll be glad to help you. But uh, as far as jewelry goes, the only place I know is some guy in San Diego who makes gold rings, but they're very expensive. Now, this is like 1975. um, And the rings at that time, he quoted me, were $200 a piece. And that's in 1973 money, or 1975 money, which is quite a lot. And I thought, well, that's kind of silly because I've studied jewelry making I can do that on my own. So I went to a little lapidary shop in Hollywood and bought some gold wire and a few tools, and I made my first uh, body piercing jewelry. Uh, And then subsequently, Doug and I and my boyfriend got together, and I did those piercings under his direction. Um, To a certain extent, that was a lot of my training, because Doug's techniques were very crude, and I learned pretty quickly that if they were going to work, I needed to make some modifications to particularly the equipment. The initial mm-hmm. piercing needles were uh, veterinarian hypodermic needles, and that's all well and good, except after you've made the, the hole, how do you get the jewelry in it? Uh, the jewelry does not follow the bevel on the point of a of a hypodermic. And then I had this little inspiration that if I cut the uh, syringe coupling off, it would be very easy to follow through with the jewelry. And that was a big step uh, forward. And the other thing I think that helped a lot was that my mother had been – an assistant to a, an ophthalmologist for 25 years. So I had a, a, a basic grasp of sterilization and some of those important things that go into doing something like piercing safely. But yes, in many ways I was self-taught. Doug did uh, know what the basic placements were and showed me how to to mark them and and where to place them, but there was a lot of uh, there was a learning curve. Wow. So yeah, yeah, that's right. I wanted to get to that. You were already you had already been making jewelry. You were a jewelry a, a jeweler. Yes, I'd done. Started when I lived in New York. I'd taken a few uh, hobby type classes, 
And then a, an ex-lover of mine who was a watchmaker managed to get me into a class for professional jewelry makers. So uh, I've had quite a bit of training in that department. Cool. So that's, to, to me, that just seems like it's almost, um, you know, I think if you alluded to this earlier, it's like a series of uh, things just kept happening, like meaningful coincidences, maybe your synchronicity, things that sort of led you uh, to to your work, actually. And being it's a quite true. I, I call it fate, but yeah. Yeah. So with this, and actually, I posted uh, one of your videos showing the, the technique that you were talking about, about how to, like, piercing with the tube and then putting the jewelry in and so forth. I uh, put it on Facebook. Um, so then how about the gauntlet? How did that start? Well, after I had pierced my boyfriend's nipples, uh, Doug called me up one day and he said, let's go have lunch. So we met, and he says, you know, I really think you should start a business. There are people out there who are interested in getting pierced and also in buying jewelry. And he lent me, over a couple of a period of a couple of years, he lent me, I think, $3,000. And I looked for a space and found one there in West Hollywood that was a short distance from where I was living. And uh, in 1975, uh, well, actually, I started the business in 1975, working out of my house. But I realized that if this was ever going to have any kind of legitimacy, I would need a storefront. And that's when I scouted one out, and I opened the Gauntlet uh, Salon in 1978. Okay, so the first one was opened where? Was that in San Francisco? No, the first one was in West Hollywood. And then in the late 80s, in the late 80s, I met my current uh, boyfriend, lover, now husband, Drew, and I uh, moved to San Francisco. I found a woman named Elaine Angel who to take over managing the uh, West Hollywood store, and I moved to San Francisco and then subsequently opened the, the shop uh, there. And then in time, there came a, 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 a studio in New York and a, a one in Seattle and a franchise in Paris, France. Whoa. Now, I've got to ask you this. That had to feel exciting. Oh, I loved it. It was uh, it was always very satisfying. Uh, it, being able to work with people and to help them realize their dreams in a way was uh, such a joy. Yeah, and then I was, yeah, and then with your and with the shops and with and then in, I mean with the different stores and different locations, but like Seattle um, and in Paris. I mean, I, I would just think that that would just be like a culmination. Like you know, I would have never thought I would be doing this as a career, and now here I am, international. And then, but let me ask you something else. Where and I want to know which came first. I know that you. So I'm going to go ahead and give away several things in a row, folks. And by the way, if you're listening live and you do want to talk to Jim Ward about body piercing, about the gauntlet, about anything that, that's um, talking about or anything that interests you with this, the number is 646-716-9922. That's 646-716-9922. Um, I know that you were responsible for, uh, you created a magazine called Fans. Yes. Piercing, Piercing Fans, fans Quarterly. Uh, which was Inter- the first publication dedicated to body piercing. Yes. Uh, and to the best of my knowledge. I'm so sorry. 
if, if I could just say, in addition to that, you're also, as we were discussing earlier, with this, but to go a little further than what you said, because I think you're a bit modest, you are also responsible for developing a lot of the tools, techniques, and designs that people use today. That's true. Um, the, the piercing needle, which, of course, I mentioned earlier, which is basically a modified uh, veterinarian hypodermic needle, is still in use today. Now there are companies that actually manufacture them specifically for uh, body piercing. They are super, super sharp. They just go through the tissue like it was butter. They're disposable. You use them once and dispose of them. Um, whereas the ones in, originally we just would sterilize and reuse. Um, then uh, there was one particular piercing called a Prince Albert. It's a uh, a genital, a male genital piercing, a penis piercing, and uh, the technique that Doug showed me involved piercing into the head of a Q-tip, which if you can imagine is kind of a rough target, especially when you have to go there, you've got a, a membrane of tissue between. Uh-huh. And once I, once I opened the, uh, had two locations and had to start training piercers, I realized it was too difficult to take people to master in any kind of a timely fashion. And then it came, it occurred to me that there was a better way. And I developed something called, uh, we called a, uh, um, in <laughs> my brain, <laughs> it's a tube. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a piercing tube. And uh, it made it possible to pierce through so easily because the, the point of the needle just finds the inside of that tube without any trouble. It just guides it right through the tissue. And I think that's the one that I put, it was just a little short video, about a minute and 40 seconds that I was looking at today. It looks like it's just very, it makes it much more, makes it very simple. In other words, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't creep me out to watch it because it doesn't look painful. It looks very simple and, uh, and clinical. If a piercer knows what they're doing, mm-hmm. has experience, is skilled, it's really amazingly simple. And relatively, uh, in terms of pain, it's minimal. So how do people, this, you really brought this business into the state that it's in, more of a, a state of the art, if you use that term. And, um, which I know it seems to be an overused term, but you really did give it safety, responsibility. And how would people today learn how to do body piercing? That's a bit of a challenge. Um, the, the best thing, of course, is to get an apprenticeship with someone who knows what they're doing. Uh, there are people who do, uh, who have, uh, Training, uh, do training schools, if you will. Uh, there's a, a colleague of mine named Fakir Mushafar who uh, has a school in San Francisco. Uh, his website is Fakir, that's spelled F A K I R uh, dot org, I believe it is, or maybe it's dot com. But at any rate, he has some outstanding instructors. And it's worth looking into if that's what if, if it's something that you want to learn. I would also recommend that uh, if you're interested, that you connect with uh, the Association of Professional Piercers, and their website is safepiercing.org. Uh, they have a big conference uh, every year in Las Vegas with multiple uh, courses. Teaching anatomy and techniques and things, well worth it if you're serious about learning the craft. Okay, are you with me? I'm with you. Can you hear okay. me? Okay. <laughs> All right. So yeah, the Association of Professional Piercers. 
Yeah. Because, that was again. Uh, that was another one of Gauntlet's legacies, because when all of those little uh, piercing chops were springing up all over the place, uh, California got. Uh, a little bit freaked out and decided that maybe this was something that needed to be regulated. So a few of the the responsible piercers got together for Meadow and uh, negotiated or spoke with uh, pol- politicians, uh, health officials, to uh, make it clear to them that n- no, this they had. They did not want to close down the industry. They wanted to regulate it uh, and make sure that it was done safely. So uh, that led to the formation of the Association of Professional Piercers. Do you think that was a good idea? I think it was a necessary idea because, unfortunately, people uh, just tend... It would have been nice if people could have been responsible and uh, policed themselves, but that was not the situation. A lot of these things were motivated by money. People wanted saw a chance to, to make money uh, real easily, and uh, it didn't matter that they didn't know what they were doing uh, mm-hmm. as far as they were concerned. And that, I think that's what I'm saying. When you said that the state was starting to get a little freaked out about it, yeah, I think it was uh, you were so savvy to ahead of time. Okay, we'll, we'll go ahead and pull this together. And as you said, that was another legacy of the gauntlet. And um, and it gives, I think, it gives the uh, proper practitioners um, a comfortable place to an association to say, you know, you can go so and so. You can always find somebody to do it cheaper or whatever, but. I think you're going to want somebody associated with professional have standards. If somebody wants to get pierced, I suggest they go to the to safepiercing.org, the uh, APP's website, uh, list their members. Uh, it's a good place to look for someone who should be responsible uh, uh, for doing a good job. Mm-hmm. A good, safe job. So, if say if I wanted to do something done, so you're telling me then the best way for me to find, or for me or anyone to find, and I want you to give me this this website. Uh, let me give uh, the information again because I want to make sure that I share it on all of my social media as well. So, the best place for somebody to find someone in their area. It's safepiercing.org. Okay, safepiercing.org. I know you said it, but things like that are, are always good to repeat. So the book, your book, Running the Gauntlet, how did you come to uh, put together a book? Or whose idea was that? Because I feel like, I feel like you, you attract the right people who see your value and, and, and encourage you to uh, keep doing um, more prolific work. So the book running the gauntlet well i re- uh, gauntlet ran into some uh a, a really difficult end uh the company went under in 1998 i had uh, a couple of an unscrupulous manager who got mm-hmm. involved with someone who was even more unscrupulous than he and Ooh. they succeeded in destroying uh, the business, and it went bankrupt. And the bankruptcy court trustee decided to split the assets into two parts. There was the uh, the equipment and the inventory, which they sold off, and then they were, had the intellectual property. And mm-hmm. uh, that set, she was just not able to sell it. And finally, uh, she decided that maybe she could just get rid of it if she uh, posted it uh, 
for sale on eBay. And that's what she did subsequently. And a dear friend of mine uh, organized things and purchased the intellectual property uh, and then sold it back to me for a dollar. And that made it possible. This was in, I'm trying to remember the year, 2000, I'm trying to look it up, but um, without that intellectual property, I don't know that I would ever have written a book because I didn't have access to uh, or the, the ability to legally use that material. But it's so broken uh, by the disillusion of my business that it was really a cathartic process uh, putting together the book. I felt it was important to tell the story about how uh, the industry came into being, my place in it, how I got interested in it, um, the the story, basically. And uh, I think it was just a very therapeutic uh, process for me to write this story of basically how this industry came into being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so true. Um, what do do you still make jewelry? I have not. Uh, there are so many really good jewelry companies out there that uh, and I'm not really set up for it Uh, I've talked with uh, some friends in the industry about maybe uh, reissuing some of the old gauntlet designs but that's kind of on the back burner at the moment I anticipate that will change in the future but uh, for the moment it's kind of on the back burner as I say yeah, I've got well actually two questions that on my mind. I don't want to forget them. One is what what came out of the gauntlet that that made it unique, and and also what do you consider to be the gauntlet's legacy as well as yours? Well, of course, let's just face it. All of those little studios on every other street corner around the world is really a legacy of gauntlet. I don't think they would be there if Gauntlet hadn't existed, or if they did, they wouldn't look like what they look like now. And Gauntlet is my legacy. Um, I never consciously set out to create an industry, but that's basically essentially what happened. Um <laughs> I pres- I follow- uh, what was it uh, Joseph Campbell said about following your bliss? Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I did. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I have, uh, I may, I guess I am the granddaddy of the modern piercing <laughs> movement. And I have all kinds of, of offspring. <laughs> <laughs> What, People who are know, carrying on my uh, <laughs> what I started. Was it um, was it difficult? Because this, some of the body piercing, uh, especially you know genitalia, is so personal. The first few times you did it, was it a little uncomfortable or difficult to get used to? And I'm asking this, yeah. like I said, that used to do personal waxing, so. Well, especially in the very beginning, when the the when I didn't have the proper equipment, it was particularly difficult and challenging. Once uh, I had equipment that was really reliable and worked well, uh, and I sort of had dev- gotten my technique together, uh, not so much. But to be honest. Um, I was always more comfortable with men's genitals than I was with women's. And that's just because I don't have that kind of equipment, so I don't quite know, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
I mean, yes, I've pierced lots of women. Uh, I've pierced lots of women down there. But, um, you know, it. I don't know what that feels like. Uh, yeah. So... I, it's all. It, I always had a little bit of trepidation about it, but uh, you know, you're you've become a professional. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, and even though I waxed women and men, I never wa- I never waxed a man around the genital area because at the time that I was in the business, that that just wasn't done. At least not. Um, at least not somebody that would go to a department store salon or a private nail and waxing salon or facial salon to have that done. They would go to someplace they felt more comfortable, you know, going in there. So I never, never did that. And I probably, you know, I would do it, but I'd be like you. I'd be thinking, I don't have that equipment. I'm not sure exactly. I know it's a sensitive area. (laughs) <laughs> and, it, and I wouldn't want to hurt anyone. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. If somebody was going to get uh, some piercing, their first time body piercing. Oh, and I think we have, um, oh, we do have a caller on the line here, actually. So, hi, uh, welcome to Madam Perry Salon. You're, you're here with Jim Ward and me. Oh, and they hung up. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Um, if I lo- I just lost the call, but if you're still there, I call back. I was trying to, uh, I was trying to take you off mute to bring you in to talk to Jim Ward. So, please give us a call if you want to. We'll be here for a couple more minutes. Uh, so until the call back, um, what kind of words of caution would you have for somebody? What should they watch out for? As far as, and not as far as finding someone reputable, but as far as personally getting adjusted to that new part of them. Well, any good piercer, any reliable piercer will be very careful to share uh, the aftercare. Uh, Make sure Mm -hmm. that the person is informed about how to take care of the piercing when they go home. Uh, mm-hmm. That is absolutely essential, and uh, those procedures have changed over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. The the different <laughs> we've tried different products and different approaches, but uh, talk to your piercer and make sure that you understand how you mm-hmm. can take care of your piercing uh, going forward, uh, and then be careful. You know, don't especially if it's a genital piercing, uh, be gentle. Don't do, don't do anything rough with it until it's uh, had a good chance to, to heal up. And Okay, well, Jim, get... I had another caller that disappeared, and, but the first one uh, that I lost is back. And I want to say welcome to Madam Perry Salon. You're here with myself and Jim Ward. Uh, come on in. Tell us who you are. Hey, how you doing? Who? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My name is Trey. Hey, Trey. How you doing? I'm good. Very good. Uh, I just wanted to say, Mr. Ward, I have been a piercer for 20 years. You have been my number one influence behind everything. Uh, You know, I even follow your Facebook and, you know, throw up reactions and commentary to you know, little funny posts put up here and there. I think you're a wonderful person, and I thank you for all the influence you provided. Well, thank you for thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's uh, nice to know. Question. Uh, sorry. It's nice to know that uh, I always enjoy meeting my uh, my children, as it were, my grandchildren. <laughs> well, definitely proud to call you granddad if I can. Oh, you thank you. You have a question, Trip? Well, yeah. Uh, what I wanted to ask, with all of the steps that you've taken over the course of your life that have developed body modification, body piercing specifically, into the fold where it's 
becoming more accept, acceptable in modern society. How do you feel about the exploitation of the industry by people who are opening shops who don't really care for the aesthetic? They're only looking for profit and really, you know, creating a competitive environment in which, you know, nobody is really gaining as far as understanding the importance of body piercing's place in modern-day society and proper maintenance and care of the work that they're putting out. Just curious about how you feel about what people are doing with your legacy. Well, there... As I said, it's, or I did not say, I'm sorry. Um, it's kind of like when you have a child. At a certain point, the child takes on its personality and its own life. And I have no control at all over what people do. Um, sadly, there will always be people who are only in it for the money and don't really care about uh, the well-being of their clients. That's just a given. And it's unfortunate, but that's part of human nature, I've discovered. The best thing I can tell you is just uh, maintain your integrity. And people, you will de- you will develop a following. People will have bad experiences with other uh, companies, other piercers, and they will come to you. And even if you cut... If your prices are higher, they will realize that they get what they pay for. Uh, Just stay true to your values. That's the only thing I can tell you. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's good good advice. I would not have expected to hear anything different from you. (laughs) You know me too well. (laughs) (laughs) Jim, do you still do body piercing for people? Uh, rarely. Uh, it's usually for friends or friends of friends who twist my arm. Um, I was asked to do a, a weekend uh, piercing gig, if you will, uh, for a studio in Oklahoma City not long ago. And uh, that was a wonderful experience. I really enjoyed the opportunity to get back in the piercing room. But uh, I've been there, I've done it, and uh, it's not something I would care to do full-time anymore. I see. All right, but, yeah, you're right. You've had, a, you've had a magnificent career as, you know, everything I read. And as Trey can, can attest, you've had a magnificent career and one to certainly be proud of, and a lot of people um, you've helped guide the way. Trey, you're still with us? Yes. Yes, I am. What does it mean to you to have someone like Jim in this business to guide you? Do you think that um, I know you're saying he made a big impression on you and helped shape your career. Um, What does he mean to other? I'm sure you've got friends in the business too. What does he mean to somebody like you when you're you're trying to build a business like this and something that's not an ordinary, normal, run-of-the-mill business? Well, I mean, unfortunately for most of the people who I started my career out with, they've moved on to other walks in life. And those who have remained, they're more managers of these environments now, not so much actively body artists anymore. Uh As far as some of the newer generation, uh, you know, I do express to them that there is a lot more to being a body piercer than looking at a few YouTube videos and reading the piercing Bible and thinking you understand it all because the practice of it is a very big deal. Without being hands-on and learning how to work with people, developing a trust, developing your skill, you're really not doing anything that benefits the industry at large. And even more surprisingly, you know, for when I came into the industry 20 years ago, 
it was a very big deal to understand who the originators were, who were the people who made this for you and understanding what it means to them and making sure that you're standing up to meet the standard that they require, you know, or that, that, you know, the bar that they have set. And, you know, maybe exceeding that bar, but at least meeting the standard. And there are too many out there today, you know, I could sit with a group of these young kids and go, oh, well, you know, have any of you ever heard of Jim Ward? They go, no, but have you read the Pearson Bible? And I'm like, okay, you're getting ahead of yourself and you take a step back and listen to what I'm asking you. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. Uh, And I'm so glad you called because I got to tell you, Trey, just studying um, and doing research on Jim for this interview has really given me a, a great amount of respect for the art and the professionalism of people like Jim and you that have followed him with his grandchildren. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's an exciting thing, I think. Um, by the way, if anyone else wants to call, I've got about three more minutes with Jim. The number is 646-716-9922. Hello, Jim. What what uh do you have any before we go any any following words how many how many piercings do you and I'm gonna ask Trey this too if you don't mind uh how many piercings do you each have on your body right now Well I have a number but I don't wear jewelry in them very often anymore um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a long story and we're running out of time. But I mean, my, my answer would pretty much be the same thing. <laughs> I wear maybe a handful of my piercings. Other than that, I've got holes everywhere. So, so what you're saying, guys, is I'm going to have to have a a part two sometime. A Jim Ward part Certainly. two. You, if you want, I'm happy to talk to you anytime. Oh, thank you, thank you so much, and. Uh, yeah, that's what we'll have to do. Hopefully, guys, it would be great about if they had if the show was videoed then, so they could really see. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, listen, I am so happy to have you here, and Trey, thank you so much for calling, and everyone that's You're listening welcome. and sending uh, messages. Thank you, and somebody to see. Um, also, someone named Duffy, uh, uh, a guy named Duffy. Oh no, Duffy Odom. He's a regular listener. Messaged in that he's enjoying the show very much too, and learned a lot himself. And um, I just want to thank you so much for being on here. Yes, we'll do another show soon. We'll do Jim Ward Part okay. 2. And, uh, and Trey, I don't know how you found out about this show, but I certainly hope that you'll be back when uh, when he is here. Actually on uh, Jim's Facebook. Oh, All great. right. Wonderful. <laughs> All right, guys. And well, please- you know, I'll- what? Please, Jennifer, put in a, a put a, something on your website about where people can order copies of the books. Oh yes, yes. Before we go, yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, the book "Running the Gauntlet" uh, with Jim. I will be putting on um, on this page. I will be putting on all of my social media a link to where you can buy the book. It is exquisite, and uh, I'll put in, uh, links to all the the uh, groups that you mentioned today or tonight for me, uh, Jim, and also, again, Running the Gauntlet, uh, Jim Ward, the granddaddy of modern body piercing. You definitely want to get the book, and you definitely want to learn about this. And, of course, you know, I always close out with my motto. So everybody's got to sleep. And, and thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jennifer. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. 
At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.